Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we're talking about relationship-centric business strategies with my guest, Julius Geis. Now, Julius is an identity expert who has created brand strategies for over 40 companies, and he's the creator of Identity Built Branding, which is a branding process that builds brands from the inside out. It guides companies to happiness and connects people with people, and we're going to talk about that strategy because brand Branding is really kind of undergoing a metamorphosis, as it should, in my opinion. So Julius joins us today from Maui. He's in Hawaii, but he was born and raised in Stuttgart, and I'm not sure I pronounced that properly, but Stuttgart, Germany. Julius, welcome to your part in Success Radio. I'm excited to have you as a guest. Thanks, Denise. Thanks for having me. Listen, we we might as well get this out of the way. We had a terrific pre-interview a week or two ago, and we both had so much fun. We thought we should have just recorded that and been done with it. So that's correct. <laughs> we're going to try to replicate that magic, and I'm just it, going to warn you. It's always so much more difficult, right? To to do it, it again. Is. The pressure is high. It is. And to make it even worse, talk about pressure. You just got in my virtual green room. You just told me to be me and you would be you. Don't ever give me permission to be me. That's a bad idea, but you did it, so we're going to run with it. So let's just have a good time with it. So before we get started, though, you have, in my opinion, a fascinating story. So if you don't mind, I would like for you to kind of start with Germany and Tell us how you got where you are right now. Oh, boy. Let's start all the way at the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you gave me permission, too, to be myself, right? So oh, that was that was the, the permission was equal. Um, yeah, I like to start the story by, um, you know, literally with, with my childhood. Um, I, I grew up in a surrounding where um, change and um, working on a better world was, was kind of like embedded in our family culture. My, my dad was a teacher. Uh, my mom um, was the owner of a left-oriented bookstore. It was the, the end of the 60s, 70s. It was the student revolution. It was, you know, the starts of, of women's rights and equality. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm born in the 80s, and I grew up in that surrounding. I, I like to, to, to make the joke that every weekend I, I actually joined a demonstration. It was usually against atomic um, electricity. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that, that I, I would say that, 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 that gene in, in looking at the world with a, with a, critical, with a critical eye and to look for a solution, how we can how we can evolve, and how can we how can we be better as humanity was 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 um, really um, really lived by my parents, and 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 I and I admire that on them. Um, so I, I thought too that you know I, I would I would follow their footsteps and with in, in my career as well. So I'm and I'm actually an educated banker, and while I. <laughs> While I was in that, <laughs> I'm laughing the way you educated banker like those are you know contraindicated contraindicated terms. So, but it just yeah. made me laugh. keep going. Well, it's, I think why I'm saying that too is the context between the, the Europe and the U- United States. So, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the European or especially the German education system. It's a bit different than what we have here in the United States. So I'm I'm saying educated banker. <laughs> because I think it's a bit of a pride because I had to go through a three-year schooling, a, a dualistic schooling between um, uh, a university and, and, and actually working in a bank. So when, when, you are, when you become a banker in Germany, you have to, have to go through all the different departments within a bank. So you learn how to do credit, you know how to do investment, you know how to do you know, doing teller work and all these different things. But you, you, you get a vast experience of 
uh, practical and theoretical education. And that's different than in the United States. I mean, I experienced people working at the bank who went through a four or six week class or workshop, and then they're able to do a teller, teller's job. But if you ask them a question about your credit card or, or certain specifics, they usually can't answer it. And that's different in at least at my time when I went through this education. It was much more holistic and much more um, intense. And, and I think that's why I'm always pronouncing it an educated banker and not just a banker. But um, yeah, anyway, so I, that, that's, what, that's what, I, what I did at this time. And, 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 and I also joined the union, kind of like what, what my dad always did. And in, in, as a teacher union, I joined the union because I thought, you know, going into politics is the right way of, of making the world a better place. But pretty soon I realized that politics isn't the right place for me to change the world because of its overall bureaucracy and, and, and the way things worked. It was way too slow and it was way too, you know, complicated and manipulative and, and nothing I wanted to do. So then there was the other parent, which was my mom, who was self-employed and had her own bookstore. So I, I looked more towards the business end. And, and, and pretty soon got fascinating by choosing business as the right environment in, in making changes. So I founded my first company with the age of 21. I started in the sport industry. My brother was a professional snowboarder. And, um, and he basically gave me the opportunity to work for one of his um, sponsors, uh, a Norwegian snowboard brand. And from there, everything went pretty fast. I uh, I built it uh, in 2004. I built my first e-commerce store. So technology in the whole digital world was something that I was super fascinating. So, um, you know, I, I'm still in that generation where we had a modem to go to the Internet. We all know the sound. We do. I do. <laughs> we do, right? <laughs> and then yeah, it was horrifying. Right. And you'd sit there and just wait and wait and wait. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to the point where I'd go cook a meal and then come back to see if it connected. It was <laughs> bad. No, you're right. It, it, was, it was very different. But I was super fascinated about that, you know, about that new world. Um, and, yeah, so, so uh, besides of the e-commerce, I also had a, an, an own retail store. So I did a lot of things in a, in a, in a young age, um, and I call it the, the uh, champagne and, and, and chantre time. Chantre is a really bad um, kind of like whiskey style that we get in, in Germany. So you drink that when, when things go wrong. So I, I, I experienced all the ups and downs um, as a self-employed really early. Um, so from, from there, I, I actually then, you know, got a chance. I, I got acquired by a headhunter to, to work for an agency, an advertisement agency, as a creative director. And at this time, I had no idea what a creative director even is. But it sounded like a good opportunity to, for me to kind of like get out of the, the, the circle of being self-employed and and, and actually get a steady pay for once. I thought, oh, that, that sounds like a good plan. So I went there and I took the job. I ended up becoming a creative strategist for um, all Microsoft consumer brands in, 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 in Germany. So I was involved in the Windows 7 lounge um, when Windows Live search engine became the Bing search engine, when the MSN Messenger became the Windows Live Messenger. And my job was to create uh, creative campaigns and communication campaigns for Microsoft for the German-speaking market. And that was a really cool experience. Um, and, and I would say that really kick-started my career. I was 25 in charge of these huge brands and, um, you know, creating these impactful campaigns uh, for people all around uh, Germany. And... Um, I, I would say I couldn't get higher at this time when, when you talk about a career ladder. Um, and at the same time, that was my tipping point. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned, I, I experienced a lot of success in, in, a, in a classical definition. I had, a, I had a steady job. I had a very good pay. I think, you know, it really was one of my best pays. Uh, I got a lot of recognition. But at the same time, I didn't felt happy. I looked, uh, every time I looked inwards, I would ask myself, well, what, what makes me smile? What makes me giggle? What, what is it that really interests me? Because I have to say, every time I left the office, 
I was kind of bored and I, and I really didn't know what to do. I, I gave up all my hobbies. I had no hobbies and had no interest. So you could say I experienced an early burnout and I decided to, um, I decided to, to, to take a sabbatical, which my, my, my employer at this time were gracious to give me. And that was the first time I traveled to Hawaii. And um, it was a beautiful experience, and it, it, I, I saw, you know, the first time being in, a, in an English-speaking country, the first time being far away from home by, all by myself, traveling by myself, which, by the way, is such a great experience, and I really recommend all young adults to do it. Um, it's, it's really life-changing. And um, meeting beautiful people, um, um, spiritual people like Hawaii, for me, became this mecca of, um, I would say, spiritual diversity. I, you know, in it, it, the morning you go to a to a Christ church and and, and join the ceremony. Uh, in the afternoon you do Sufi dancing, and at late night you go to a Buddhist temple and pray, and and all of it in 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 one in one little island. And I felt that was so fascinating. And the conversations I had with different leaders of spiritual tribes I met great people like Ramdas, Leo Hu Ryder, I met Deepak Chopra and, and had the opportunity to, to talk with those people. And yeah, coming back home, coming back after three months of traveling and meeting all these people, I realized something did change. I did felt some sense of happiness and I did felt some sense of purpose in myself. And I wondered how can I how can I use that or how can I like yeah, how can I use that what I experienced individually and offer it to, to, to collectives, uh, organizations and companies. Because at this time already as a brander, I felt there's a lot of manipulation and there's a lot of fake in our industry and there's a lot of unhappiness within employees. And yeah, I, I wanted to give back what I experienced on a collective level and that was the beginning of the journey of Identity Build Branding. So I, two questions. This is fascinating. How did you go from being an educated banker to wandering around Hawaii and being you know, in a branding type of a situation? That seems like a big, big jump. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was the, the lack of money, to be honest. Um, gotcha. The, 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 so from so from from being a, why I left the bank was it was clear to me that I did want to be a banker. The reason why I chose to become a banker was that it is a good um, it is a good business education. It you get a lot of um, insights in how business works and how a business interacts with banks and the whole financing system. So I thought that is a good education, and I have to say it was a good education. So many times over the years, it helped me to understand how bank operating in building new businesses. So that, that was a good choice. But I knew at the same time, it's not the industry I want to, you know, I want to retire off. So um, it, 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 in, in Germany, we have something um, that called civil service. So instead of going to the military, um, you you have you have the you have the choice as a young adult to to help in a in a in a social environment like helping elders working in retirement homes and things like this that's what i did and and that that time frame these 10, 10 months give you give you time to think and while doing that i started my first idea in business which was that e-commerce store for for a snowboard brand so that kind of like was my transition from a banker into becoming a self-employed and then the switch from um, being self-employed moving to the agency world was literally because I wasn't successful enough. So I, I just fell. Um, I had a lot of depth already and I needed, I needed something different. I needed an opportunity because at this time I was 24. The only thing I did was based on my self-creation. And every time I would apply for a job, people would say, oh, no, you know, we can maybe offer you a traineeship. But they didn't know where to put me. I, I was at this time already, I was, I was a generalist. I wasn't specialized in something specific. And that was hard for companies at this time. They didn't know how to hire me, so they all offered me traineeships. 
And I said, I can't afford a traineeship. And why would I do a traineeship? I already had my own business. I already showed success. I already show all these things. Why do you want to, you know, offer me a traineeship? But that was all I got. So the the offer then to to go to the agency was really a blessing. And and the, the braveness of the owner of the agency to see something in me that others didn't, that was really a tipping point in my life because if he wouldn't have given me that um, position, Denise, I'm not joking, I would have worked at McDonald's, at McCafe and, 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 and serving people because I had already signed the contract. That was the only thing I could get at this time um, and, and I knew it. I don't go back to the bank. So, yeah, I, I think it was everything. It was the pressure of, of you know, the financial needs and, and also you know, maybe a universal sign to really push me to the edge so I was open enough to to accept and receive the offers the universe gave me at this time. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think that's the best explanation I have. It does. And actually, while you were saying that last sentence there, I was already formulating a thought. And that thought was that you were not going to just settle for whatever was tossed your way. You were already aware that you were basically a fish out of water and would remain a fish out of water and you weren't going to just accept what the universe was in in your you know thought process at that time toss your way and you decided to go do it your own way which you know we're a lot alike there I don't play Mm. well with others I don't want to be told what to do how to do it when to do it so and I think the entrepreneurial mind is a lot like that but you are quite young to just say, mm, no, I'm not going to just settle. So good for you. Mm. No, that is that is true. And and um, you know the, the the good thing on on doing like experiencing all of that because now when when people look at your life, right? If you if you have a certain history and if you have a certain success on your on your vita, right? People look at you. Wow, it it must have been so easy for the guy to to achieve whatever he achieved, but you know, there, I have to say, and I have to encourage every one of your listeners who are thinking of, of, of following these steps, you know, there, there is failure involved. You, you will fall and you will have times of frustrations and really not knowing what is tomorrow. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, is, that is normal. That, that's all I can say. And that's, you know, and even today, I mean, last year, 2020, I experienced similar things again. We, the COVID wasn't good on our business, and and I really felt like back in my twenties, figuring it all, you know, figuring it out again, and and um, looking at myself and thinking, well, how come you know you you did all these things in your life and your career, and suddenly no one cares, and 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 that was that was an interesting one as well. Like re-experiencing that with with the age of 38 is definitely different than experiencing with the age of, of 24 or even 23. So the, I think if you are younger, it, it's a good time to, to kind of like experience and to be more experiential and not follow an atypical path versus if you do it when you're 40 or 50, I would imagine it just becomes a bit harder. I'm not saying don't do it or it's not worth it. It's just probably harder because your life is much more entangled into responsibilities you may have kids you may have family you have a mortgage all these things so like making these decisions um that are very risky or can be very risky is definitely more difficult than you know when you come out of college and have nothing to lose more or less right and you make a good point about entrepreneurship and i've said this practically daily because i've always been an entrepreneur but honestly if you don't have a cast iron stomach Get a job. You can't do mm-hmm. what we do. You shouldn't do what you do. we do. I mean, we fall down multiple times a day. We get back up, we brush our butt off, and we keep going. Mm-hmm. Or we sit in a corner, we cry for five minutes, then we get mad and we go fix something. But it's it's not easy. I would never mm-hmm. tell anybody the work that I do is easy or the work that you do is easy. But it is so, so rewarding. I can't even mm-hmm. explain what, you know, why we wake up every day and think, okay, I'm going to throw up today because nothing's going right. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. still 
so rewarding because we learn and we grow and we help. And it's a fascinating life we live. Yeah. And I would say that that, I guess, is, is the only recommendation I would give as well, because I agree with everything you said. So even more important is that you have the awareness of why are you doing it? Like what is, you know, now I'm using a big word, what is your purpose? Like is there some sort of an alignment in a bigger cause that goes beyond I just need to make some money? Because if if it's really about the dream to be the next Mark Zuckerberg and and make a billion or about how many has like 140 billion right now, I don't even know how much. Anyway, (laughs) but anyway, if you're – if this is your if this is your motivation, it usually that it's not enough. So it needs to be it needs to be connected to something bigger, um, because that's the only driver that that brings you through these obstacles that will a hundred percent appear uh, throughout your career. So when mm-hmm. I look so when at I- some you know at some students or people who leave the university and say you know I'm I just become an entrepreneur because I feel like entrepreneur became such a buzzword as well. That's good in one way, but I miss sometimes the, the, the to, to kind of like, you know, to hear out, but why do you want to do that? There's nothing wrong in being an employee either. So if you do no, that, I just, I just would love to hear and feel, why do you do that? And yeah, I don't know how you feel when you talk or when you observe, um, you know, younger adults, it, it, it seems to be many of them are choosing the path of entrepreneurship because it's somehow hip and they have these idols of, of billionaires, of tech yeah. billionaires. Influencers. I don't know. I just think it's not, it, it, it doesn't bring you all the way. It doesn't. And, uh, you know, we, there's an awful lot of talk these days about influencers, and I'm using air quotes because I hate that word, hate that term. Mm-hmm. But these people are not real. They're just not real. They're made up, even in their own minds, people, but you want to aspire to be like them. I would strongly implore anybody who's listening and who is very young, don't go down that road. It's not, it's not about you. It's not who you are. It's not your, your passion. It's not what you bring to the table as an individual. Yeah, follow them, admire them, but don't try to be them. Mm-hmm. And, and what a segue into branding, right? And that I right. mean, I would I would just sign that as well for organizations. And it's the same thing. I feel branding today became such a prediction and, and pretending to be something to to then cater to an idea a customer potentially wants. And I feel that's so stressful. You know why? Why to pretend and 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 pretentious itself? It's 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 yeah. It's stressful. It takes a lot of energy, and it it's most of the time not successful because it's missing the the magic ingredients, which is authenticity. So, yeah, no, I hear you. And eventually, it blows up in in your face, especially if you're like I don't know, but you have a team and I have a team, but we're the face of our team. We're it. I can't be anybody but me. I just don't have the energy to pretend to be anything other right. than who I am. It would wear me out. Just thinking about it wears me out. If you don't, my grandmother used to say something to me. She was a pretty woman. She was English, you know, from um, English descent, and she had a beautiful peaches and cream complexion. And I just loved to look at her. And apparently, other people did too. She was just this small, pink peaches and cream woman, and. I would say, Grandma, you know, people look at you all the time, and she, she just didn't even notice it. And she said, well, if they, you know, they don't like the way I look, they can look somewhere else. And she always just kind of dismissed it. But I took that to heart because she knew who she was. She was comfortable. She didn't care if people liked her or didn't like her. She liked everybody. I mean, she mm. liked everybody. But she didn't really, you know, worry herself whether you liked her or not. And to me, that was perfect branding. She knew who she was. And I'm just now realizing that she was her own brand. Mm. And I hope I can grow up to be just like her. (laughs) I want to be her. I don't care what other people think. So. No, that's well said. And and I do like, too, for my work, I like to use human experiences to explain the whole philosophy of identity build branding and, and using that, you know, these examples that you just share with your grandmother, 
that that are relatable then because yeah it, it, it is I, I, it is different you know to, to just take that rabbit out of the hole it is different to formulate a personal brand or, or to create a sense of personal awareness uh, versus um, on a collective level so it is different but it is possible and um, I well, let's talk about that. those because they are yes. two different things. But they, let, let me ask you this: Don't they have to start with you? Don't they have to start with the face of the company or who created the company, uh, whoever it was? Well, Henry Ford. I mean, you know, everybody knows who Henry mm-hmm. Ford was. It, doesn't it have to start somewhere and remain true to that person, or am I just way off base? Uh, no. No, I, 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 that is that is true. Um, in in our in the in the methodology of identity build branding, we we start our process with a workshop, what we call an identity workshop, and we invite um, if if it is a company that has a founder or a founder's family, then you know, they are invited. If if it is if it is a company that doesn't have that that founder in per se anymore, then and it is a it's a form of leadership that we invite into that workshop. Um, and and that that would be my answer. So yes, it has to be some. Uh, it has to be a collective of leadership, uh, a good selection, um, not too not too few, but also not too many. Because if you start with too many opinions, then it's very difficult to um, to get to a core, as which we call the founding spirit in our branding methodology. Um, and then we, yeah, we, you, you, you use that, what you say, the face of the company, whether it's the founder or, or that, that, that these, these selections of leaders and, and take their results and, and that, that what we identify as identity and then we widen it into a, into a collective concept of identity. So meaning the bigger your company is, the less, the less of course, um, different opinions and identity forms you will have but the the important or the key to to being to being successful with identity build branding so that inside out approaches that you find that common ground and in our experience we always find it like you know you you, you, you meaning as an as an employee you don't have to be a hundred percent as the founder but there has to be something in that founder's identity that you can relate with that makes you that makes you want to be a part of that company and that want to make you you know help that company and that identity to grow and and to become their best self. So here it does. So we're actually talking about a company culture then, because if you have a bunch of disparate employees who do not understand the founding of the company or the purpose of the company, they're going to be problematic, I would think. So you have to be careful with your culture. Is that close? So, yes. And, and, and I think this is now really where, where, where branding becomes really fussy, in my opinion. It is because we're using all these different terms and, um, and they all stand for something different when you hear it from different people. So in our approach, when you look at identitybuildbranding.com or if you read Total Branding, which is our uh, manifesto about that, about that principle, we shortcutted it and say, you know, for us, it's all a brand. Whether we talk about culture, the business, whatever terms we're using, the, the holistic form that kind of like organizes it all is for, for us is, a, is, is the brand. Um, so when you say, well, we need some sort of a culture, yes, that is true. Culture for us, organ, like is, is, that, is that term that, um, that, that basically brings an identity into, into a living form because an identity only exists if there is a relationship the identity is within. So if there is no others, there is no identity. And that actually goes back to psychology and sociology. So if you go to um, identity research, research has stated there is no form or, or awareness of identity if that, that person or that identity is the best way to say it, is not in relationship with something else. So now going into an, our organizational form, that goes the same way. So if we define that identity in, the, in our workshop, at first it's just on a paper. 
It's something that we identified, some potential that is within these people that we had the workshop with. But culture is that that, that, that make like that organizes that into something accessible. So that, that all these different people come together under the same, under that like-minded idea of identity that we have defined. So it's an interplay of all of it. I think that's what I'm, what I want to say here is the interplay between identity, culture, brand identity, branding, and even in terms like business, they are all somehow interconnected with each other. They're, you can't separate them from each other. No, I agree with you, and that makes perfect sense to me. So late, recently on this podcast, we've been talking a lot about branding, and I don't know mm-hmm. why that's happening. You know, it just we've just had a run on, you know, people wanting to come on and talk about branding. Apparently, there's the world at large needs to understand branding and I think this is just me thinking which you said to do me I'm doing me (laughs) (laughs) you don't want me thinking out loud but it's too late I've already started but here's the thing there's so many brands right now that I've been watching just implode political Mm. correctness or just some really silly reasons in my opinion We've got cancel culture going on, but that's not my, my real point here. I think the point is that people, this is just me being observant, but people are kind of sick of being told what they're supposed to think about a product. Let's use Coca-Cola just because everybody knows what it is. Uh, you know, we're kind of sick and tired of being told what we're supposed to think about a brand. So we're mm-hmm. distrusting brands. Are you finding that people just saying, listen, unless I'm going to be able to, sorry about that, find some um, authenticity here, I'm not paying attention to you. Do you? Am I far off? Do you think that's what's happening? There's a, a slow move towards people just saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're right, and, and, and research research supports your your intuition here. So there is um, um, there's an interesting study coming out yearly from the Edelman Group called the Trust Report, and uh, 2020 and 21 are very interesting. 2020 was uh, pre-COVID, 21 was you know including including uh, the the pandemic. Um, and and already in 2020, it, it was it was stated that trust becomes that that center of decision making when it comes to the relationship between brands, businesses, and their customers. And that was an increase of over 70. That there was an increase of over 70 percent um, in change from the previous year, 2019. So there is something going on. That's what I'm trying to say. And these trust reports show that, that trust, and not just in business, also, by the way, in governments and organizations, in all forms of entities. Um, So I really recommend everybody to read that trust report, because what's interesting, too, is that the Western world, the, the, you know, the, the capitalistic world took the hardest hits when it comes to trust with the people, whether it's government or it is business. So I felt that was very fascinating. The reason to me is, it's you know to me it's obvious because we are in in one of the biggest transformations since the first industrial revolution in my opinion. There is Not so great. much going on in this you. world that many people didn't even grasp yet, but there there it is. Jobs will disappear, new jobs will appear, industry will disappear, new industries will uh, appear. The, the environmental impact of, of, of climate change, the increase of technology and involvement into our society, how we organize each other. So there's so much change um, undergoing at this moment. So why branding to kind of like go back to your, to your initial thought becomes so important in our, in our, in, in our discussions nowadays is that businesses ask themselves, who are we in that future? How do we react on these changing circumstances? And that's why identity built branding, in my opinion, is so crucial and, and, and is such a great cure for or such a great recipe for, for, for that today's world because it asks the essential question of 
who are we? And using that, who are we, that knowledge, that knowing into designing a future. Because how can you even design a future? How can you even react as a business on transforming environments if you don't know, if you don't have your compass, that compass that states who you are, where you like to go, what, what are your roots, how do you organize yourself? So there's so much right now going on. And branding is that discipline that can really help companies to come out better and come out stronger um, with that transformation, or if you, I think if you fail doing it, it, it is just, it will basically wipe you out. I, I can't say it more, in a, in, I can't say it with more charm, but I, I truly believe in that. And we already see that, that those businesses who stick with their same old, same old strategy, they just don't have any success anymore. And that then goes back to your consumer observation, that consumers become more critical. We have a different generation who is in charge now of, the, of, of spending power. We have a generation that fights for things in a way that we never saw because they are fearing for their future. So all of these dimensions and dynamics um, have an absolute impact on our society and businesses are part of that society, so of course they are influenced by it. So it's a very holistic overall change and transformation that we are undergoing. And and we didn't we, we are definitely not at the end yet, we're just starting. And and I think the, 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 the polarization of left and right and black and white and you know, bright and, and, and you know, these differences that we are experiencing already. Cancer culture is just a result of it. I, 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 prob- I, I assume we will have a little more of it, um, but I also predict that we will reformulate us as a society, as humans, and, and, and we, will, we will have a future. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Well, the thing about pendulums is they do swing. People forget that. Yes. Yes. They do. Now, tell me again what the name of that report was. And I have to tell you, I didn't know about this report. In fact, my question that I asked you really was what I call a wag. Do you know what a wag is? No. No. (laughs) W-H-E. It's a wild-ass guess. That's all that was. Okay. So, you said be me. <laughs> that was me. But what is this report? Because I, I knew nothing about it. I just knew that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing things that they just don't feel right to me. And I think a lot of people are saying exactly that. That doesn't feel right. I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and before I answer your question, I, I want everybody to be feel encouraged by that intuition. I truly believe that... Um, people with, with a strong awareness, self-awareness, an organization with a strong self-awareness have a sense of intuition and they should just trust them. We, we are heading to a world where we, yes, in one way we have a lot of data-driven proof, but we have also a lot of unknown. And data only can predict, in my opinion, the things that, that you know, happened already. And have happened. And create some sort right. of fun. Have happened. That's all it can do. It can't really predict Correct. what's going Correct. to happen. Correct. It, it only can create some sort of hypothesis if the pattern stays the same. But that's where I think the intuition kicks in. I don't think that the pattern will stay the same. And there is a, an, an, an intuition, a deep knowing in all humans and organizations that I encourage them to take as a guiding principle and to just trust and to experiment and to, to follow that follow that thought. And to answer your question, the study is um, from the Edelman Group. Um, It's one of the largest agency holdings, and they um, created something called the Trust Report. Um, I think if you Google Edelman and Trust Report, you, you you will find it. And basically, they create this research um, in, on a global scale, how people trust um, in governments, in businesses, in organizations, whether profit or nonprofit, and, 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 and kind of like give different perspectives around the topic of trust. It's very insightful. Without trust, 
it's hard for me to understand why I would pay much attention to any brand. I don't care how long you've been around. I don't care how great your commercials are. They're not going to impact me because I don't watch TV or listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. I cut off cable 10 years ago, and I'm much healthier. (laughs) Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are brands right now that have been around forever and ever, amen, and people just swore by them, and now they're going, what? What are they? Mm -hmm. What? And there's an awful lot of that going on, and there seems to be an, I'm just going to say it, an, a rank amount of stupidity in the thought processes of some of these brands. I can't figure them out, but I'm not interested enough to follow along because I'm not going to buy their products anyway. But I catch myself thinking, what in the heck is wrong with you people? I said, mm. there was some prices, big prices for that. Mm. I, I, for, for me, what, what fascinates me is the question, what makes people trust in brands? What, make, what makes people trust in other people? And um, where cancel culture, in my opinion, is wrong is that it goes, it, it, it takes mind or it equals like-mindedness with authenticity. So w- what I mean with that is just because I don't have your, just because I don't share your opinion doesn't mean I can't respect or see you as a human and as mm-hmm. a person that has, that has all, that has causes why your mindset is different than my, my mindset. And that, you know, by the way, is, is the basic principle of democracy to, to come together and to, to see that, to see the other with a respectful eye and then share and debate and come to a conclusion. Cancel culture doesn't do that. And that's why I think, think they are wrong. But I agree I with you. To... And I don't pay attention to cancel culture. If I don't like mm. your product, I'm not going to buy it. It's that easy. Mm. No, I, and I, I agree. And, and, and sometimes I, I, I would say it is good to share an opinion publicly um, but do it with that in, in that in that um, awareness that you are interested in what the other person has to say, and that you can respect the other opinion, and that you can have a debate that doesn't attack the person or questions its integrity or or difference, um, because that is is not what a good debate or democracy is all about. But so going back to the question, what makes people trust? So for me, it's that word authenticity. But how can you be authentic as a brand? And that goes back to identity. That goes back to that essential awareness of who are we. And that's what we would like. That's what, what, what I'm fascinated about. How can you create that sense of awareness that on an individual person, you know, it's easier it's still difficult, and and you know, if probably if we if we would ask each other, who are we? That is something that is changing a lot, that that's evolving, and that's all fine. But there has to be some. We 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 have to develop some, a sense of awareness of um, is that still me? Is my decision that I'm doing reflecting that me, or am I influenced right now? Am I influenced by fear? Because, for example. I'm making a decision based on fear that I would lose all my income if I if I follow my dreams, right? So right. that is a that is a tricky thing because fear somehow is part of your identity, but the question is: Is it your real identity, or is it something that you adapted from somebody else? And the same goes with organizations that we we have something that is true, and we have patterns that are based on past experiences um, that are not serving our, our, our greater good anymore. So in our identity work, we are not just interested in what your values are, your purpose, your mission and vision. We're also interested in whether or not a company had a bankruptcy history or not, whether or not uh, what, what history uh, the people, the leadership have in the company, um, what's their dream and motivation. So we're really trying to look at a holistic picture of that company because all these influences influence a company's uh, decision-making process. And the goal overall is that we align, that we close the gap between the identity strategy, which is the, the ideal, the vision of our pure potential as an organization, 
in our day-to-day decision-making. And the experience shows that the day-to-day decision-making many times um, is apart from, from, that, from that strategy. And the work we're doing with organization closes bringing them together so that less and less um, discrepancy is between the strategy and your day-to-day decision-making so that your identity truly becomes your guiding principle, your compass throughout all internal and external relationship buildings. So that leads me to, and we may have covered this, but I wanted to kind of call it again. We have the opportunity with the way that you're operating here to build an organization from the inside out. Can you give us some examples? How does that happen? It, it, it literally goes back to what I just said. It is the, the inside-out approach. Is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's in contrast to the market-based approach. Most companies and most brands are built from a market-based approach. That means um, I'm formulating my brand by looking at my market at the outside. So like, for example, um, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm in the sport industry and I'm doing apparel so I observe the market of apparel, and wherever I find a gap or a hole, that's where I'm positioning myself. And then I, I follow my action towards filling that hole or filling that gap. The inside-out approach includes the market because we are part of the market, but it's not our guiding principle. What is our guiding principle is that identity, that question of who are we. Like, who are we includes things like a purpose, mission, and vision, but it also asks questions like what's our contribution? What, what, how do we want to see the world we live in? What is our, um, that we bring into that world and to our consumer, and how do we make our consumer's life better with that product? So it just has a different approach. So we're taking our strengths from our intrinsic viewpoints and our intrinsic beliefs, and we are not basically reacting on outside changes, which a lot of companies do. If the market is changing, the company is changing. If the consumer is changing, that's why I have such an issue with the consumer-centric approaches of product development, because I think, well, but, but your job as a brand is to express you in the context of your environment and not to replicate consumers. So that to me is that inside-out approach. Of course, again, it's in the context of a market, so we're not just doing whatever we want to do. It, we, we are living in a context. So identity for us, sorry, now I'm, I'm getting a bit excited, so there's so much to say. <laughs> um, identity in our, in our framework, is, it's the sense of self, the sense of others, and the sense of environment. And if you take those three disciplines, defining who you are, that's basically the inside-out approach. We're looking at inside, we're taking these as a principle, as a compass, and then we navigate from that into in, in our day-to-day execution. So if I were to kind of melt that down a bit and put it into a single sentence, I would say that basically everything that you just said means that you have to know what your value is and stay true to those values. Does that sound about right? Yeah, you can say know yourself, be aware of yourself, live yourself, and the rest will follow. That's my principle. principle. And listen, I I believe it, and I I operate in the same fashion. What I'm seeing, and I know that you're seeing it because you're way ahead of this. I mean, I don't know much about branding except – what my terrific guests like you teach me, and I do learn from you. But what I'm witnessing, and I do it with raised eyebrows a lot of times. I'll say, what the heck did they just do to Aunt Jemima? It's knee-jerk. It's all knee-jerk. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Is that what you mean by consumer? I don't even know why they're making these decisions. Can you can you ask your question one more time? Sorry, I'm, 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 Sorry, I, I, I maybe was, didn't get it. Yeah, I was rambling around a bit. What I don't understand, because I watch a lot of these, you know, bigger brands like poor Aunt Jemima, 
is one cancel culture. It's just crazy, crazy stuff. And to me, Julius, it seems like some of these people who are in charge of these brands don't know what the value of the brand was to start with, and now they're just knee-jerking all over the place. So they're listening to, I think, a small number of consumers, and they're knee-jerking and making decisions based on, I think, a very small but loud and vociferous group of people. How far off mm. am I there? Did that even make sense? Well, I, I would confirm that that a lot of companies are purely focused on, on outside demand, like, you know, whether, you know, a consumer demands something or the market demands something. And the disconnect comes usually because the brand was never built with any inside knowledge oh. or any inside knowledge. So it, it was always built to just cater. That's why I use the word manipulate. Brands, most of the time, and that is sad, are used to market and sell a product. That's it. That's all the brand needs to do. It makes it, it, it uses colors, consumer fancies. It uses the story of consumer fancies and can relate with. But it's completely disconnected with something authentic in the inside of the company, especially with bigger uh, corporations. So it's just a one, it's a linear approach of just selling your product. And that's what we did in advertisement. We just created an environment a consumer would say yes to, to buy the product. But that world is changing. The consumer nowadays wants more. They, they are looking at products different. They're looking if, they're, if what you say is actually true with your actions that you're, and, and your policies that you're living by. So that, that linear approach of how we use brands in the past is just not working anymore. That's why I, 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 I'm so passionate about identity build branding because it really closes the gap of building this authentic relationship between a brand and its customers. And it becomes very organic. It's nothing manipulative. It's an organic process. It's an organic relationship where both sides look at each other with respect and, and, and value the trades. For example, I'm taking your product, I'm buying it because I see the benefits I have from it. And in the, in the traditional sense of branding, we just colored the heck out of the package so a consumer finds it fancy and the package stands out from a visual perspective on the shelf. Whatever the ingredient is, no one really cared. It just looked good or it made me feel good. So branding was triggering much more the aspiration of a consumer to make the consumer bigger to something that he wasn't before he bought the product, but today branding changes. It's more like a strengthening of both sides than it is um, like a, a fake picture or image that you add on your personality just because you buy a branded product. I hope that makes sense, but that's, in my opinion, truly, that's the truth behind everything, in my opinion. It's so funny when you're talking about just color, you know, make it pretty. I live in the southwest, you know, southwest Louisiana. We eat a lot of fresh food. I mean, you're in Hawaii. You eat a lot of fresh food. We eat a lot of mm. crawfish and crabs and fish. I mean, we and it's all right here. It's Gulf of Mexico. And there's a, a local grown store here. It's, I think they have seven different stores in the state, and it's my favorite grocery store. And I don't like to shop, so, but I love to go in the store because half of the store is homegrown. It's organic foods that are farmer grown here locally. You know, the fish literally just came off the boat in, you know, intercoastal canal. Then you go to the, uh, and it's low lighting, it's quiet, it's pretty. And then you go to the other side of the store where it's fluorescent lighting. The flooring is different. It's just row mm. after after row of brightly colored packages and cans and frozen things. And I will tell anybody who listen, if you go to that side of the store, you might as well just lick the package because that's about as much nutrient as you're going to get. (laughs) And I'm not, I'm curious. I don't eat that crap. It's just garbage. it all the time but when you said that I just cracked up because every time I wanted that side I think oh, I don't want to lick that package <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm not mm-hmm. that. but people yeah. do and it's part of branding yeah 
Yeah, and 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 for 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 the most, you know, for the last couple of decades, that's what it was. It was the extension. The image of the brand was an extension of your own image of your own self-reflection. So you you used you basically bought branded products to enlarge your personality or to enlarge your self-image you had from yourself because you are not that person. Just because you're wearing a Nike product doesn't make you that athlete that you see in in their imagery. So you have to become that athlete yourself to really feel it and to build, you know, to to become that personality. So branding just really enlarged people's yeah people's um, self-image and made them feel better for a couple of seconds, but it had no substance and no sustainable ground. So today because of the change in our society and the change in consumers' head, there's a different demand. They want to have people now demanding true and authentic products that truly strengthen both sides. And that's where brands have to create a different and a new approach on how to identify themselves to then better communicate themselves to their customers. Yeah, I think, Julius, that a lot of people are listening to us and they have not heard identity branding. It's a term they just are not aware of. So what I'd like for you to do is tell people where they can find you and learn more about what it is that you're you're sharing because it is pretty Mm -hmm. new to a lot of people, no question. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, We have a website called identitybuildbranding.com. Um, on that website, we um, gave a general introduction on how identity, what, what's the principle of identity build branding, who is it for, what are the profits and benefits, what is the process, and we also share, you know, what would it cost to go through a process like that. We have a resource uh, tab available where you can download, um, I mentioned earlier, our manifesto called uh, Total Branding. It's also available on, on iTunes and Spotify and other podcasts um, as, as audio version. Um, or more about me, you can go on juliusgeist.com. Um, it, it, it shares a bit more personal information, but it also talks a lot about identity built branding. And the last website is aina.studio, which is our um, office for, for strategy. So that's that's where we collaborate with brands. That where we that's where we help organizations to, to to kind of like identify their identity and and help them walking them through the steps. So, Ina Studio, JuliusGuys.com, and IdentityBuildBranding.com. Do me a favor and spell Ina for me. It's A I N A dot Studio. There's a story about that. If we've got just a minute or two, can you tell us really quickly what that is? Yeah, Aina means, uh, it's, it's a Hawaiian word, uh, which is represent, represents the land or which that feeds us. That would be the translation. And we, we love the idea that, you know, which that feeds us, it's basically the, the, the origin, the foundation of everything that grows on that land. So we like this metaphor of being the soil of brands that can grow into their own identity. So that's why we chose the the name Aina.studio, or Aina is the the company's name, yeah. And you want to design a word for that, 2020? We we did not we uh, we did not want to design a word for for Aina. We we won as Aina for client work that we did. Yeah, we won the IF Design Award, which is the uh-huh. International Design Award. Uh, but that was for client work. So we did, yeah, 2020, we did win some some awards for the work we did, uh, which, of course, we are excited um, and, and love to share it, yeah. Good for you, and congratulations, Julius. You've already told thank people where, where they can find you, so I want to thank you for sharing time with me. And normally I broadcast in the mornings, and because there's a big, difference where I am and you are you were able to come in later today and I appreciate you being flexible at the time so thank you Julius for being here it's been wonderful speaking with you and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience and before we say goodbye I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes we're on Amazon Prime we're on Audible 
really we're anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Seriously, you cannot throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So just look for us there and take us along on your success journey. Julius, thank you. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 